have traveled to the country of Kenya many times over the years as part of our church's partnership with a wonderful children's home there. And as part of those trips, there's always some kind of unexpected adventure. It's one of those things we guarantee you that's part of international travel at no extra expense. Well, due to flight patterns and schedules, we almost always arrive at the Nairobi airport late at night. And it's usually 10 or 11 o'clock in the evening by the time we uh, unboard the plane and we gather our bags and we get through customs. And then we have this two-hour drive through the night to where we stay, our base camp. And a lot of that drive is on highways and major roads, but the last 20 minutes of, of that journey is on a dirt road through the dark fields and bush on their way to that base camp. And it's full of all kinds of creatures. Now, during the day, we'll see gazelle and zebra and even Cape buffalo, which are considered actually one of the most deadly animals there. We've even seen leopards before, or others have seen leopards in those fields. And at night, well, you can't really see anything because it's pitch black, except right in front of your headlights when you're driving. Well, on one of our trips, on that very first night, as we were traveling down that road, we got a flat tire. And so everyone got out of the van, and we stood there as a way to help, uh, you know, at least lighten the load of the van. Some of us held flashlights for the guys that were changing the tire, and some of us held our phones with our flashlights out to the field and the darkness around us into the great unknown. And guys, I want to tell you, nothing makes you feel smaller and more vulnerable and more like Sunday's lunch special than when you're standing in the utter darkness knowing you can't see anything and it's full of creatures. I swear there were two sets of glowing eyes that were darting all over the place. And so either there were a lot of animals watching us or there was one really you know, fast animal that was running around playing with its food before it devoured us. Now, I'm not really a fan of the darkness. And so the only thing keeping me from crawling up into a fetal position that night um, was the fact that I wasn't alone that there were other people with me. And it wasn't because of that belief that as long as you can outrun someone, you're going to be okay, which is a valid point of survival. No, the comfort was knowing that even though I was surrounded by the unknown, I was not alone. Even though the unknown was all around us, we were together. We were not alone. Now, there have been times in this past year where I felt like I was on that dirty, dark road on the way to the base camp in the the middle of that darkness, surrounded by unknowns. And the unknown can really be thrilling sometimes, but it can also be terrifying. Now, I imagine most of us are facing some kind of unknown in our lives at this point, some serious unknowns, health, relationships, finances, job, the future of our nation, there's at least one area of our life where we're not sure how things are going to work out. And if this past year has taught us anything, it's this, that we don't always know what's coming. But even though we are surrounded by the unknown, we are not alone. And knowing that can hopefully bring us comfort. Well, today we are beginning a six-week series on the life of Joseph from the Bible. 
Joseph from our Old Testament, one of the very first books, Genesis, tells us the story of Joseph and how he endured many challenges in his life where his future was not only unknown, but it was even questionable whether he would have a future. Yet God was at work throughout Joseph's story. And while we today have the benefit of knowing how Joseph's story plays out and what God was doing during that time, Joseph did not. Joseph was in the dark, and in today's text, literally in the dark, surrounded by the unknown. Now, before we get to our text today, it's really important that we set the stage because we're going to drop into the middle of some severe family drama. Um, And so 17-year-old Joseph, he is coming from a long line of brothers who didn't get along with brothers. It's a family system of dysfunction that they never chose to break generation after generation. Now, Joseph was born to a man named Jacob, and Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham. And Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons born to Jacob, but he was Jacob's favorite. And out of Jacob's favoritism for Joseph, it's, it's not just something that we, we guess about or read between the lines. It actually says in the scripture in Genesis 37.3 that now Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his children any other children. And out of this favoritism, Jacob makes this beautiful, ornate, royal robe of many colors for Joseph to wear. So we know Joseph was his favorite, and his brothers know that as well, too. And you can imagine how that goes over in the family. Now, the favoritism was just one reason there were issues between all the brothers. You see, Joseph also tattled on his brothers, telling his dad when they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. But the most damaging part seems to be the dreams. You see, Joseph was a dreamer. And we know at least two dreams he had while growing up in which it perceived to say that his brothers and his parents would one day bow down to Joseph. Now, Joseph's problem wasn't really that he had these dreams. His mistake was that he told these dreams to his brothers and to his dad. No one wants to hear a sibling or a child tell you that one day you're going to bow down to them, that one day they're going to be greater and more powerful than you. You see, the tattling, the coat of many colors, the dreams, they were all too much. And when we enter the story today in our text, the brothers have had enough. And who could really blame them? As one scholar remarked, God's future agent and mouthpiece in Egypt could hardly make a worse impression on his first appearance. Spoiled brat, talebearer or tattleteller, and a braggart. Now, it's in the middle of all this seething and growing hatred that we join the story today. So Joseph's father, Jacob, has asked Joseph and sent him to go out and to check on his brothers who are working with the family's animals out outside of town and uh, to see how things are going. And so we're going to pick up the story there in Genesis chapter 37, verse 17b, And B simply means it's the latter part of that verse. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now, notice how Joseph is referred to by his brothers. It's not that the he's the tattler and it's not about him being the favorite son or having some fancy coat he's the dreamer and that's what sets them off 
As author Victor Hamilton says, the brothers are infuriated, especially by his grandiose dreams. They identify Joseph not as a favorite of their father, not as a bearer of tales, but as a master dreamer. And it is his dreams that their plans will sabotage, or so they think. The brothers view Joseph's dream as a threat to their own dreams. And out of this perceived threat and insecurity, fear is planted and rooted in their hearts. And that fear is nurtured and justified and cultivated until it grows into this immense hatred that deems murder of another, even a brother, warranted and defensible. So let's read about their plans to kill Joseph. The brothers say, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, who was the oldest of the twelve, when Reuben heard it, he delivered Joseph out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with the sleeves that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Now, I've often wondered uh, if Joseph had any idea of how his brothers felt about him, of any clue of this growing hatred that would eventually lead to something like this. My guess is that a spoiled, tattling, bragging 17-year-old boy probably had no clue because he was so consumed with himself. So more than likely, Joseph just strutted up to his brothers with this colorful, special robe of favoritism, believing that he was in control and with a very known and privileged future in his family. And then he got a flat tire on the side of the road. He was thrown into a deep well, surrounded by darkness and the unknown. And the fact that the pit is dry and without water is both good news and bad news. I mean, the good news is that Joseph's not going to drown in the well. The bad news was that he also would have nothing to drink and might dry a slow, painful death from thirst. Meanwhile, after this deed is done and Joseph is dropped into the pit, the brothers enjoy a bite to eat. Let's look at the next part of the story in Genesis then they, the brothers, sat down to eat. I've often wondered how near they were to this pit. Did they hear Joseph's cries? Did he know they were just enjoying a meal? They sat down to eat while this was going on, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. So when some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph, the brothers drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph on to Egypt. The brothers, minus Benjamin, who is the youngest and who's still back at home during all of this, 
The brothers sold their brother Joseph, and they took his coat of many colors, and they smeared it with the blood of a goat that they had killed, and they took it back to their father. They told him, Jacob, they, they found this coat, and they assumed that their brother was dead, torn to pieces by some wild animal. Joseph's father was grief-stricken, and he mourned the loss of his son. And in the meantime, Joseph was taken on to Egypt by the Ishmaelites, and sold in the slave market to an officer of Pharaoh, an Egyptian who was named Potiphar, who we'll learn more about in the coming weeks. Now, I don't know how long that journey was from that pit to the slave market in Egypt for Joseph. Best estimates say maybe it was 15 days at least walking, and Joseph most likely was bound and was walking all that distance behind the camels and the the donkeys that were carrying his new owners. Joseph, a boy who had only known the safety and love and privilege of a father's devoted love. Joseph, the dreamer who had dreamt dreams of greatness and power and believed they would come true. This Joseph, almost overnight, now finds himself enslaved and powerless and headed to a place that he's never been and all at the hands of his brothers. And I can't imagine what those 15 days were like for Joseph, but I do imagine that he was consumed with at least three questions on that journey. Questions like, why did this happen? What will happen now? And where is God? Why did this happen? Why did my brothers do this to me? What will happen now? Where am I headed? What will become of me in Egypt? Will I ever see my father again? And where is God? Why, God, did you allow this to happen to me? Perhaps in the past and even now in your life, you're asking one or all of these questions. Why did this happen? What will happen now? Where is God? Someone turned on you. Something outside your control changed your plans or your dreams. You don't know why you heard the words, you have cancer. You don't know what is going to happen next for you or your job or our nation. You're tired of worrying if you or someone you love is going to get COVID and wondering when life will return to some kind of normalcy or when you could just simply hug people again. And sometimes it can feel like God is silent or maybe even absent from the mess of life. It can feel like we've gotten a flat tire out on a dark, isolated road. Or it can feel like a naive young boy facing the harshness of life for the first time and finding himself on a journey he didn't want to go to, on a land he doesn't even know, all at the hands of people that he thought he could trust. Now, we have the luxury today of knowing how Joseph's story works out and to be able to see where God was at work in all those messy parts of his life. And in the next five weeks, we'll tell these stories together and see how God brings good from all the unknowns in Joseph's life. And you won't want to miss it. There are some exciting stories. Ironically, the the brothers of Joseph, their plan to throw Joseph into this pit and then see what will become of his dreams are ultimately serves God's plan to bring fulfillment to those very dreams. But today, 
I want us to just sit with Joseph in that pit for a little bit. And I want us to walk with Joseph on that long, hard road. And I want us not to rush to the happy endings because that's not real for most of us when we're facing unknowns. Most of the journey is in the dark, wrestling with these questions and wondering if we are still known by God or if God has left us. The journey is often, as author Eugene Peterson says, a long obedience in the same direction. It's taking one step forward at a time in faith, trusting that God is with us and ahead of us, even when we cannot see where we're going. When Joseph was in that dry pit, he was not alone. And when Joseph was on that journey to Egypt, he was not alone. And when Joseph was surrounded by all the unknowns, he was always known by God, even if it didn't feel like it. We may not know what tomorrow will bring for us, but we can trust that we are not alone. No matter what unknown you are facing, you, my friend, are known by the one who loves you and is for you. You are known in the unknown, and you are not alone. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the stories of people like Joseph, families like these, God, who are loved by you and are messy like our families, but are still used by you, God, in your grand story. And we're thankful, God, that it's not all cleaned up and neat and tidy, that there's some uncertainty and, and situations like we face today as well, and that we can look to these stories, God, and be reminded that you are faithful and that you are good and that you are at work, even when we can't see it. And now in our lives, when we feel like Joseph, some of us in that pit or on that long road where we don't know where we're going or what's awaiting us at the end of the journey, God, we can trust that you are with us as well, just like Joseph, that we are not alone in the unknown. God, we pray that we will remember this truth and that we will turn to you and seek you as our true source of peace and comfort and assurance when everything around us seems unsure and chaotic and maybe anything but peace. God, we pray that we will be people faithful to you as you are faithful to us, that we will continue to follow you and proclaim that we are known in the unknown and that that will make all the difference in the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.
so much for worshiping with us today. If you are in need of talking with a pastor, of some encouragement, if you're feeling really lost here in the unknowns that are in your life, we want to encourage you to connect with us. You may do that by commenting in the comments or messaging the church or visiting our website, fbcjc.org connect, and we'd be happy to talk with you about anything that's on your mind or your heart. We're so grateful that we are able to each week here through these worship services proclaim God's love and goodness to us, and that includes each of you. And we'd love to share the story of Jesus and the work that he'd love to do in your life today. As we leave today, I want to invite you to receive this blessing. It's a paraphrase and an adaption from Psalm chapter 139. And so receive this as we go this week to be the people of God in our world. As we leave this place, let's not forget, there's nowhere we can go where God is not. Everywhere we go, God goes before us. From the farthest ocean to the highest mountain, from the heights of joy to the depths of despair, wherever we find ourselves, God is already there. So go in peace, for we do not go alone. Amen.